Hello, Westside Family Church. How are y'all doing? Whether you're, it's awesome. Whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway or watching online, uh, if you are a guest of ours today, we are so honored to have you here, and uh, we just want to give this service as a gift to you with the hope that you'll walk out today, uh, whether you're online, Speedway, here at Lenexa, the South Sanctuary, with just a lot more hope than you walked in with. Uh, that is our hope for you. If you are a Westsider, if you call Westside home, November is, um, is for us a very important month. We have a value here of our seven values. It's called generosity. And it goes like this. God is generous, so are we. Say that. God is generous, so are we. So the month of November leading up to Thanksgiving is a season of, of gratitude. Uh, uh, and, and so what we do here as sort of a tradition is that we take the month and we just really ponder uh, how generous generous God has been to us. And we write those things down and we share them together as a family. And then uh, on Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we then bring a gift of generosity as a response to God's generousness to us uh, here uh, in one service, whether you're online, Speedway or here. And we do it in a really powerful way. To be honest with you, it has become uh, one of my top two or three like Sundays of the year. It's hard to believe, but there's something happens when generosity just pours out with thousands of people. So when you came in, uh, you received a, a card or you should pick one up and it gives you the opportunity this month to just really ponder how God has been generous to you. And then on the other side, it gives you the opportunity as we lead to our Thanksgiving offering uh, for you to bring this and we'll do something very special on that day. If you're online, our team will tell you how you're going to be able to participate in this as well. It's going to be a great time. God is generous. By golly, so are we. Well, I have a lot to talk to you about today and in this brand new series. And I'd like to start off with the story, if that's okay. Okay? Okay, good. Good. That's good, because I got nothing else. So there once lived a man named Larry Walters. At the age of 13, he enters into an Army-Navy store and he sees these weather balloons and he gets this vision of one day flying. Yeah. Now, as he got older and was able to apply for the Air Force uh, to become a pilot, because of his poor eyesight, he was rejected. So he becomes a truck driver, but he doesn't lose his vision to fly. So, with the help of his girlfriend, Carol, uh, who becomes his financier and ground control chief, he purchases a lawn chair and he straps to it 30 gallons of spring water to act as a ballast. And then he ties 44 weather balloons filled with helium in them. On his person, he has a CB radio to communicate with Carol, an uh, altimeter or altimeter. He has a BB gun, a Coke, and a sandwich. <laughs> Why? Of course he does. His vision is to travel somewhere between six and seven feet in the air and to travel 55 miles from L.A. to the Mojave Desert where he will land in the Mojave Desert on the same day that the space shuttle is scheduled to land there as well. July the 2nd, 1982, 
he didn't tell NASA about his plans. Yeah. And so um, we've got this uh, clip uh, of, of this actually happening because a friend was there with the videographer. And so the, 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 it's strapped down with two ropes and they cut the first rope and then Carol and the friend begin to tell him, don't do this, don't do this. But before he could do anything about it, the second rope accidentally breaks and, and Larry takes off in the air. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but once you get past 500 feet, you're in federal property right? And he didn't tell the federal government that he was planning to do this. So Larry begins to climb up quickly uh, and reaches his goal of 7,000 feet fairly quickly. Now, why 7,000 feet? <laughs> because at 8,000 square feet, we have what's called oxygen scarcity. <laughs> yeah. So he climbs up to the 8,000 feet and, uh, and now he is in uncharted territory. Uh, I want you to listen to the conversation he had with Carol on the ground as he is taking off. Take a listen to this. <laughs> so he flies off into the distance, right? The uh, maximum uh, uh, feet for a Cessna airplane is 13,500 feet, okay? Uh, Larry blows by 13,500 feet and makes his way, true story, to 16,000 feet. Yeah, you know how we know this? Not only because of his altimeter, but two commercial airlines, TWA and United, spot him and call into the FAA. Uh, yeah, I just want to let you know there's a guy in a lawn chair up here with us. <laughs> Didn't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> it's absolutely crazy. Uh, Larry, knowing that he's in deep, deep trouble, takes his BB gun and starts to shoot the weather balloons. And he shoots seven of them out. And it, this was his plan to slowly return back to the earth. And his goal is to shoot out more of them, <laughs> except he accidentally dropped the BB gun. Yeah, true story, dropped the BB gun. So now he is thinking to himself, how am I going to ever get back to planet Earth, right? This is crazy. And, but what Larry didn't know that we know now is it turns out, given his situation, that the 35 weather balloons left was the perfect amount to get him to slowly go back to Earth without crashing. Yeah. And he did land back on earth again, not in the Mojave Desert, which was his plan, but rather in a neighborhood in Long Beach, California. <laughs> yeah. As you might suspect, the federal aviation uh, was there to arrest him. But they couldn't figure out on what basis to actually arrest him. This is an actual quote out of a newspaper article. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, we know he broke some part of the Federal Aviation Act. And as soon as we decide what part it is, some type of charge will be filed. If he had a pilot's license, we would suspend it. 
but he doesn't. <laughs> that is just too hilarious. Lawn Chair Larry, as he has been called, 11 years later, passed away, 1993. But today, people like me continue to tell his amazing adventure into uncharted territory. And that's what we want to talk about over these next four weeks. What we're going to do is we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to discover the stories of people, real life, stick him, you bleed people who decided to live life in uncharted territories. And we're going to tell their stories for the purpose of inspiring us to do the same. Their stories are found in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11 and verse 1 lays out before the story some very important information for us. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 or open up the Westside app. All the scriptures are there along with an outline to fill out, to save, and to share with someone who might be encouraged by this message. Okay, The first verse of Hebrews 11 tells us, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Hope and faith. In the Bible, those are not only two different words, but they are two different concepts that are very important to understand. Now, when we use the word hope today in the English language, most of the time it's referring to sort of an unwavering, uh, uncertain sound. We might say like, I hope that I can make it to you. I hope that I can get this done. It is the hope that something might happen. The Bible seldom uses hope in this doubt-filled sort of way. If you're taking notes, write this down. In the Bible, hope is confidence in how our story ends. As believers in Jesus, we know the end game. And because we know the end game, we have, it helps us in living our life today through the ups and downs. Because we know that in the end, we win. We overcome. Jeremiah 29, 11. Who doesn't like this passage of scripture? I'm going to put it on the screen, invite you to shout it out with me. Ready? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you what? Hope and a future. That's hope. Now, faith is different. Faith says, I don't see how I'm going to get there. From where I am standing, it doesn't look possible. However, I am going to keep moving forward in faith, believing that it is God who is going to pull this off. So if you're taking notes, write this as a definition for faith. Faith is confidence in the one making the promise. I am going to go where God leads me because I know that he is good. I know that he is powerful and can pull it off. And I know he has a reputation for keeping all of his promises. Now, there's such a thing as blind faith. Let's just say you have a heart condition and you come to see me. And I say to you, I want to offer you some hope. 
If tomorrow you will come in, I will do surgery on you. I will open up your heart and I'll fix this thing and we'll sew you back up. You have a couple days of pain, but at the end of the day, you're going to be okay. And what it does is it infuses hope in you, but it shouldn't because I'm not a heart surgeon, right? Now, I will tell you if this helps any, in junior high school, I cut open a dead frog who was in formaldehyde for quite a few weeks, if that gives you any hope. Any confidence? See, that is blind faith. You've got to decide if you believe in the one who's making the promise, okay? In this case, verse two tells us that the faith that got a total of 16 people's names represented in Hebrews 11, it is by faith that got them inducted into what has been dubbed the hall of faith. I want to drill down today in just one of them, the life of Abraham, a person that's commonly known to everybody. I mean, all the major monotheistic religions tie back to him. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all go back to Abraham. And so he is a widely known character. Um, verse nine, 8 of Hebrews chapter 11 begins his story. And each one of them begins with the word, by faith. In this case, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, now this is the part, even though he did not know where he was going. Okay? So here's the backstory if you don't know it. One day, this God named Yahweh visits Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to start a brand new nation from scratch from you. And ultimately, this nation is going to bring hope to all of the nations. Now, what you may not know is that up to this point, Abraham doesn't even know who this God is. He has never met him. A lot of times we assume that he had this ongoing relationship, that he was raised in Christian Sunday school. But Abraham was not. He, at this point in his life, is 75 years old. He is married to Sarah. And essentially, they're living in the basement of his dad. Yeah, that they're still living at home with his dad in a safe and secure place. And his dad uh, was an idol worshiper. And therefore, Abraham entered into idol worship. This is the day that he meets Yahweh. As a matter of fact, later, Joshua would tell the people of Israel before they took possession of the land this. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. So Yahweh says to Abraham, okay, so you know the end game, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to build you into a great nation and you will be a blessing to all nations. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave the security of your home and I want you to grab Sarah and I want you to start walking, but I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I want you to start walking and I'm not going to tell you where you're going. And in that moment, Abraham has to make a decision. Is he going to go? Or is he going to stay? He loves the end game, but 
Is he going to step out into no man's land with his wife at the age of 75, having no idea where he is going? Let me ask you a question. Would you do it? This is called faith. He put his faith in a person called Yahweh to give him confidence that he would reach the end promise even though he couldn't see it then. Like long, long, char, long chair Larry Walters, he too entered into uncharted territory. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 tells a second story about Abraham. If you'll skip down to verse 17, before I read it, I want to give you a little backstory of how it unfolded. Abraham decides to leave and he starts walking and God, somewhere in the process, gives him the first vision that he's going to ultimately give him a land called Canaan, a land called Canaan. So Abraham walks to the area of Canaan, even though someone else owns it. And by faith, as a stranger, he sets up tents in the land of Canaan. Okay, now that's faith, right? Imagine that someone uh, sets up a tent in your front yard and says, oh, by the way, God told me he's going to one day give me your property, and I'm just trying it on for size right now, right? You would shoot him, right? But this is Abraham's situation, and that is faith. As it turns out, it won't be given to his family for another 700 years. And Abraham never actually, in his lifetime, knew what it was like to be the owner of that land. God tells Abraham that he's going to give him and Sarah a child in their old age to start this new nation. Now remember, Abraham is 75 years old. You know what we call that? Uncharted territory. <laughs> Uncharted territory. And they wait, uh, have to wait 25 years until uh, their first child is born, uh, Isaac. Uh, Abraham is now 100 years old. Fast forward, Isaac is now 14, which makes Abraham... How would you like to be raising a junior high kid at the age of 114, right? <laughs> I mean, it wore me out in my late 30s, man. I cannot imagine how exhausting this would be. And then this God comes to Abraham and says, okay, next thing I want you to do, didn't tell him, ever tell him that this was a part of the deal when he took off. Now what I want you to do is I want you to sacrifice your son. Okay, put yourself in Abraham's shoes. It's not like they're going to like have another kid. This is nuts. It makes no sense. How can you take this direction and get to the end hope? Verse 17 and 18 says, by faith. Yeah. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So I ask you the question, what was Abraham thinking? What was going through his head? Well, it tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead 
And so in a manner of speaking, he did raise Isaac back from the dead. Abraham's faith is so strong that he basically says in the midst of this absurd request, his, his, his mindset is not a problem, not a problem. God, I believe your promise so strongly that it's now on you to figure out how we get out of this mess. I will tell you that Abraham's thinking is even more radical than lawn chair Larry. But it takes this kind of thinking to dare into uncharted territory. So the question becomes, how did things turn out for Abraham? Well, we know that uh, when he went to sacrifice his son in obedience, as the flint knife was coming down, meaning he was going to do it, God interrupts him and says, now that I know that you are obedient, I want you to stop. There has been a ram whose horns have been caught in the thicket that I want you to put in his place, and Isaac lives, but only after the obedience of Abraham. Then we learned that they take possession of the land 700 years later under the leadership of Joshua, and we learned that they come into a great nation, and out of their nation, they will provide hope for all nations. How? How will this nation provide hope for all nations? The answer is pretty simple. It is through the nation of Abraham, the nation of Israel, that the Messiah would come called Jesus, who would offer forgiveness of sins once and for all so that we would have the hope of eternal life, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all nations, including us. And that's why we're here today. Can I get an amen? Right, right. We saw a hint of this back when... God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And it's interesting, the day he comes to him and says this, um, you, you think he would say, um, okay, sacrifice Isaac now. But instead, he said, I want you to take a three-day journey. Go off walking again, and I will show you specifically where I want you to sacrifice him. It's found in Genesis 22, verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Really? On a mountain, I will show you. I mean, God is, is digging the dagger in and twisting it just a little bit more by reminding him that Isaac is his only son whom he loves. I mean, what's that all about? He goes to a region called Moriah, and when he gets there, God shows him a specific mountain upon which he is to sacrifice his son. The question is, three-day journey, what is so special about Moriah? Well, we learn about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Take a look at this passage of Scripture with Solomon. Here we go. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on, say it with me, Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. Who else do we know who was sacrificed on a hill in Jerusalem? 2150 years later, it was Jesus. God is working out the story so that we cannot miss it. And now John chapter 3 verse 16 makes perfect sense. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? One and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have. 
which is hope, my friends. But in this particular day, there was no ram whose horns were caught in the thicket to spare Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened on that day when Abraham first met Yahweh if he would have said, nah, I think I'm going to stay in the basement of my parents and wait this thing out. We're going to continue to rely on these stupid idols who've gotten us nowhere, but that just feels safe to me. But he didn't. Instead, he strapped himself to the proverbial lawn chair and he took off and look where it landed him. The main point I want to make with this first inductee into the hall of faith is that Abraham lived an uncharted faith. He obeyed. He stepped into these situations, ridiculous, absurd ask, having no idea of how it was going to work out, but it did. And this is the kind of radical faith it takes to get inducted into Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, so what does this have to do with us today? Well, if you will go to the next chapter, the first verse of the next chapter, chapter 12, right after the author has told these amazing stories of these 16 inductees, this is what he says. Therefore, okay, therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The imagery here is that of, a, of an athletic contest in a great amphitheater, and the witnesses are the heroes whose stories we have just heard. They are not just spectators, but rather they are inspiring examples of how to live a life pleasing to God. They bear testimony of the power of faith and of the faithfulness of God. And as we run our race, we look up into the stands, we look up into their faces, and it inspires us to go for it, to take the leap, to cut the rope. So here's the deal. I believe that God is calling us into uncharted territories today because we live in uncharted times. I mean, in the last 24 months, someone moved our cheese. And it doesn't appear they're putting it back. There's been so much radical change and crazy thinking and division that it can leave one traumatized. And for the Christian, it could cause us to say, I'm going to hide out in my parents' basement and wait this one out. Or we can make a different decision. By faith, we can come out and we can shine. We have seven core values of the, that drive everything we do at this church. I mentioned one at the beginning called generosity. We have another one that's called faith, the value of faith. I'm going to put it on the screen, the motto, and I want you to say it after with me. Faith, ready? We are kingdom risk takers. Yeah, kingdom risk takers. We have this hope of where we're going to end up. We win. We overcome. But in the meantime, we live as kingdom risk takers because we have nothing to lose. You got that? 
because we have nothing to lose. I would say over the last three to four months specifically, God has been kind of speaking to me as we talked about earlier in that still small voice, not an audible voice, but kind of in my spirit. And he's been saying to me, Randy, um, it's a time for the people of Westside, the persons of Westside, individuals, it's, it's time for them to personally enter into uncharted territory for such a time as this. Yeah. It, it's time to strap yourself to a lawn chair with 44 weather balloons and take off toward the hope not knowing exactly where it's going to take you. What might this be for you? Because God's given me a sense for every one of you, every one of you, that he is calling you into uncharted territories. I believe it with all my heart. For example, this week, um, Westsiders Nicole and Chris Carr, about four years ago, had a beautiful boy born named Mac. You might see billboards across Kansas City, his pictures on the billboard. And uh, they had no idea this was going to be a part of their story. Uh, but God has called them to start a nonprofit organization called Blind Spot. And by golly, gee whiz, if on Thursday night I was there, they did it. They did it. They started it to provide encouragement and help and healing for people who are blind and to help families who are raising blind children. That's uncharted territory for them. What will it be for you? Maybe it is to love your mate with a radical love. Maybe it is to take a trip you never dreamed you were to take. Maybe it is a call to foster or to adopt. Maybe it's a call to change your careers. Maybe it's a call to take uh, and give away more money than you ever dreamed you could give away for the causes of God. And some of you are saying, oh, that is great for our students here on the front row. Yay for them. You know, they can live crazy lives. I'm 75 years old. Who else do we know got called at 75 years old? Find a different story, my friends. God says you're just getting started at 75. So what would it be for you? But God's also saying it's not just for you individually and me, but it's also for Westside Family Church. I believe it in my heart. that The church has been given a very unique position. And I wasn't fully aware of it. And I have to tell you, a part of my uncharted story was coming here three and a half years ago when I didn't fully know why I was coming. And what I've discovered is that God has given us a clear sense of where we're going. It goes like this. Say it with me if you know it. We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus to raise up Christ-centered families in our city and beyond by? Yeah. So we know where we're going. We're also a large church. Look around you. And we are growing. Yeah. We're also a church that has a history of being about all the other churches in Kansas City. We don't live territorially, but we give, we give freely to cause the rising tides to raise all ships. And I believe that that puts the favor of God on us. We also, as a church, give more money 
outbound that's brought in percentage-wise than any church that I have ever served in. And I think that gives Jesus a smile on his face. And if you're visiting, you might want to know this. This is the first church I've been in that hasn't given themselves to griping. You're not gripers. There have been times as a pastor, I've looked to Jesus and I said, all these gripers, are you sure you want to leave the kingdom of God in their hands? They gripe, 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 gripe about small things and it keeps them from getting after the big things. This church doesn't do that. We would not put up for it. If you say, man, I was hoping to be in a church that gripes. (laughs) We have a list of churches on our website that are up for that. But it ain't here, baby. It is not here. There's so many things we are tackling. There's so many things that we can tackle. But I'm sensing that God wants to take us up to 16,000 feet. So high that commercial airline pilots will wire into the FAA. Hey, I just want you to know that there's a bunch of church people up here in lawn chairs. (laughs) You say, how do you know the church people? Well, they're singing worship songs and they shouldn't be. (laughs) By myself, I tell you the truth. I don't know exactly where he wants to take us as a church. I mean, I know where we're going to wrap God's family around you, but I don't know specifically because there's I don't know specifically what territory he's wanting us to take, but I think we should pray about it. I think we should pray about your situation individually, and I think we should pray about our situation together as a church. We have a third of our seven values that goes like this. You're pretty familiar with it because we just talked about it. It's called prayer. Say the tagline with me, ready? We don't move without prayer. Okay, so we're being asked to step out and we're not being told yet exactly where we're going, but we have, to, we have to take obedience and step out even though we don't know. So here are two questions I really want us to focus on in this next season of our lives and of our church. Number one, what uncharted territory is God calling you into? And what uncharted territory is God calling our church into? So here's what we're going to do. First time to announce this. On January the 2nd, I'm going to do a message on prayer and fasting. And then on January the 17th through February the 25th, I'm going to call us into a season of 40 days of prayer and fasting to pray and to seek God's face as to what he wants us to do individually and as a church. And you'll have a chance to officially sign up for this, indicating that you're in. And when you do, it'll give us the opportunity and our intercessors to pray for you as you determine what God's uncharted territory is for you. And it will give you an opportunity to pray for the leadership as to what this next season at 16,000 feet is going to be all about. And here's the deal. He's going to tell you He's going to tell you, and he's going to tell us. The question is, when he charts our course, will we have faith to believe him? If Hebrews chapter 11, the author was to come back to write a 2.0 version, would he have cause to include our names and our church 
in the revised Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Randy. By faith, Nicole. By faith, Bill. By faith, Jason. By faith, Westside Family Church. I believe with all of my heart that God has prepared us for this season. And I believe with all of my heart that the answer will be yes. And all of God's people said. Amen. Father, we come to you now. And we launch off today in uncharted territories. And uh, I have to tell you honestly, I'm a bit nervous about it. Because now I've spoken it publicly and I can't back away. And so I'm going to press on and I invite you to allow the people that are hearing these words today, if they are followers of you, to simply say, I'm in. And then let you do the rest. We enter into this season, Father, of prayer and fasting with a sense of awe in your goodness, in your power, and in your track record of keeping your promises. We rely on that today and move out in faith. In the name of Jesus and by his authority, I pray. And all of God's people said,